So this morning, um, you've been hearing us talk about being a heart church. And some of you may be sitting there thinking, yeah, I don't feel God's presence. I don't go through those periods as well. Being a heart church is this. It's choosing to love. It is choosing to love in spite of the suffering. It is choosing to love in spite of the challenges, the disappointments, the brokenness. That's what it means to be a heart church. And I think that that is really what Jesus was asking for because that is what those apostles became. They became followers of Jesus who loved Jesus, who loved his people so much that even in spite of the stuff that they were going to go through and did go through, their love, their commitment to choose love never failed, even to their last breaths. And so that, <clears throat> that perhaps prepares us for this parable, this story today. It's more of an allegory is how it gets translated. But it's a, the Ten Maidens is, the, is really a parable of judgment. When we talk about judgment, we're talking about how Matthew positions this. He positions it at the very end of his gospel. All these parables of judgment come at the end because now it is important for his followers to hear and to understand what he will go through and what they will go through. It's a warning to his apostles, but also to the church to remain awake and alert to the coming of Jesus Christ. And it is a promise. It is a promise to his followers that he will be coming. He, Jesus, will be coming again, even if he is delayed. How long have we been waiting? So one of the things that caught my attention as I studied the scripture for this, this week's sermon is this. The main character is absent from most of the parable. Who's the main character? The bridegroom. And he's missing. He is absent. And I wondered maybe if there's times in your life when you've felt like God has been absent. Marriages in Jesus' day included the bridesmaids gathering at the bride's house and waiting for the bridegroom. The bridegroom would come and bring his bride to his house where the ceremony would continue. And so the cause of delay, many scholars have kind of speculated what would cause this kind of a delay. And most often it was this, they were haggling over the quality and price of the gifts that the bride's family was receiving. 
What if the bridegroom <clears throat> was insistent on giving his life for the bride? As parents of the bride, would you be excited to hear that? I'm going to marry your daughter, and shortly after I marry her, right at that point, I'm going to die. What does it mean that we cannot see God? What does it mean that God seems to be physically absent from our lives? Does that mean that God has abandoned us? Does that mean that God does not love us? The reformers really wrestled with this question. And uh, Luther's response was that God was often, he described him as Deus Absconditus, which means translated from the Latin, the hidden God. God is hidden from us sometimes. But does that mean that God is absent? No. There's a writer, Frederick Capon, and he, he says this. He says that this story shows a master interpretive key. And that key is this. It's the inclusion before the exclusion. Those who are outsiders by the end of the story started out as insiders in the beginning of the story. And that should be a word of good news for us. All the ten virgins, the ten maidens, both wise and foolish, are equally members of the wedding party. None of them are excluded by God, by the bridegroom. And if you want to find fault with them, maybe you could find fault with all of them because all ten, it says, fell asleep. We're supposed to keep watch and we fall asleep, we might be in trouble. Those maidens who are affirmed at the end of this story are the ones that continue to believe in this interpretive key, this mysterious main character, the bridegroom. They believed in him and his promise that he would come again. They did not stop trusting in that promise, even though his appearance was delayed. They trusted him, that he would arrive just as he said. And those who are condemned at the end did not live their lives with this same trust. Faithfulness means to keep watch, to be ready for the one who has been absent, but who will come at any time. So let me be real clear here, first off, is that having extra oil is not a spiritual achievement. It is not a, a moral enhancement. It is preparing to follow the bridegroom 
for whenever he comes. You see, what this story is about is not about what you are doing, but who you are following. We can all do things to make us look better in the sight of the world, thinking that we can make ourselves look better in the sight of God. But that's, that does not interest God. What interests God is who is following his son. bridegroom has been delayed five are prepared for the delay and five are not in essence what the parable is telling us is that five are following the bridegroom and five are not the parable also challenges our view of faith if faith for us is just an intellectual assent or agreement to a proposition is it any different than just a thought maybe a mental agreement maybe it's liking Instagram posts and memes if I had thought 40 years ago that I should invest $350 in a share of Berkshire Hathaway stock. That's what it cost 40 years ago. If I had thought about that, I would be worth nearly $500,000 in my thoughts. You see, unless I actually took $350 cash out of my account and put it into another account where I could sign it over to purchase the stock, all it is is a thought. If the real work of faith is already done, and all we must do is believe, then do you really want to make an investment in a relationship with God? Do you have to? No. Faith is not an assent, an agreement to a proposition. It is the living out of a trust relationship with another person. Perhaps a better question is this. If God has already done this for me, why wouldn't I want to live out a life of faithful response in relationship to him? Did you get married, those of you who are married, did you get married to see, to just see how much you could get away with? Did you get married to, to see how much you might gain for yourself? Or did you get married because you love someone and you wanted to make an investment in that relationship? You know, the way we think about God and this relationship with God, I think, is sometimes a little nuts. I mean, we turn it into this mental, intellectual exercise where we have no connection to it. When we think about this, 
kind of relationship. I believe that this is what it means to live out faith relationship with God and with others. To live in that relationship, investing in it, pre-purchasing olive oil of all things. You know, the lamps that they're talking about, we often think of the, like the little genie lamps or something like that. Most likely, they were what they were were torches where they would wrap these cloths soaked in oil and then they would burn down and so then they'd have to rewrap the cloths and they said that the cloth would burn about 15 minutes. That was the lamp. And so making an investment in the lamp is making an investment in the relationship. This is what it means to be wise and faithful and loving. Now the foolish maidens represent the wisdom of this world. As my father-in-law would say, foolishness. Investing in the wisdom of this world is pure foolishness. But the wise maidens give us the insight of how we want to live. Because only the wise have the faith to get them through their lives with a bridegroom that they cannot yet see. With a bridegroom that they yet don't know. It is their faith that continues to compel them to invest in the relationship, to be prepared, to be waiting with extra oil. After all, it's a wedding. You know, Jesus uses the most interesting illustrations in his teaching. And I was reading this article this week, a favorite writer of mine, um, never written a book, he just writes blogs and he used to write articles until he retired this past year for his, uh, for his church. Uh, but his name is Pastor Mike Glenn. He's out in Nashville. And uh, he, he wrote this this week. Jesus, Jesus was a master of illustrations. Most of the time, the stories were pulled by Jesus from real life. When reading the text, you get the sense that Jesus may have pointed to a man out working in his fields and saying something like, there was this farmer who was planting seeds. Jesus used common everyday moments to leave us with unforgettable teachings of grace and salvation and even judgment. A man had two sons who cannot relate to that story. Jesus used common everyday moments. And when he used those moments, they captured the attention of the people. Jesus turns water into wine. Want to see? Those are the vessels that he used, they would have said. Jesus uh, healed the garrison demoniac. 
want to see, that's, that's actually him sitting there talking with Jesus. The man born blind, he's right over here. Jairus' daughter, well, we know where they live. She's at, she's at the house. The woman with the issue of, of blood flow, we know who she is. Pastor Mike Glenn's argument is that the world needs more illustrations today. We need more stories. The kind of stories that Jesus told. But it wasn't just the story. It was the healing. It was the praying. It was the teaching that went along with it. They connected those things those illustrations before people looked at Jesus they looked at his followers does that speak to us as a church today if the world needs more stories how are we contributing to those stories are we keeping watch are we keeping watch? If we are, perhaps part of the problem is we are keeping watch for doomsday. But that's not what this story that Jesus told us about is about. What he told us is to keep watch for a wedding. Who doesn't like a good wedding? The bridegroom is coming. And this is the wedding that we have all heard about. It's been talked about throughout the village, throughout the, the community. We've been waiting for this day. The bridegroom is delayed. Where is the bridegroom? But we know that he is a faithful bridegroom. So we must wait. After all, it's going to be a grand wedding. And the wedding feast will register, will register as a Michelin star experience. Why wouldn't we want to be prepared? Why wouldn't we want to wait for such a day? Are your lamps trimmed and burning? Have you ordered the extra oil? So as we think about this parable, what do you want to do to keep awake? What will you do to be ready? I could give you all kinds of answers. We do that every week. But as I prayed about that this morning, what I heard God telling me was, let them come up with the answer. How will you prepare for the coming of the bridegroom? Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for these wonderful stories. Even though sometimes they're stories of judgment. But these stories have been given to us. They're your word, Lord. And they're given to us 
to awaken us, to enliven us, to enrich us, to console us, to give us hope. And we are so filled with hope this morning because you have invited all ten, the maidens, even the ones who weren't prepared. So Lord, just work on our hearts. Help us to be prepared for the day which is coming, the day of your return, the bridegroom who comes to take her bride, his bride, to take his bride into, take that bride, the church, to be with him always. In Jesus' name we pray.